0: Good evening, glad you are here, glad you made the effort to be here tonight. Uh, quick announcement, I want to remind you, Faith Builders Camp starts Monday, and so if you've got kids or grandkids or, or friends that need to sign up for that, uh, it's not too late, you can still contact the church office, and they'll get you squared away right there. Let's start off tonight with a word of prayer. Dreamfall we be coming out, we're thankful for this night, we're thankful for uh, the opportunity to come and to hear your word and to hear from you I pray, Lord, that you would speak tonight. I pray that we would grow in your truth tonight. I pray that it would, it would bear an impact, uh, not just not just in, in what we hear, but in, in what we practice, what we do, what we carry out is how we live as believers. Uh, I pray, Lord, again, that there would be an impact in it tonight. I pray for our kids meeting tonight. I pray for their lesson, what they're uh, going to hear, what they're going to learn. I pray that it, again, builds a foundation that that will be stacked upon, a foundation that will stand, a a foundation of truth, and we we hold them up to you tonight. I pray for our youth, for our our other adult classes as well. Same thing, that your truth is made known and that it bears much fruit. And then we again, Lord, ask that tonight as we uh, endeavor into your word, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, uh, that we would be built up in the study of your word. We're thankful for the opportunity, and I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, tonight we're on our 55th lesson. Uh, our lesson tonight is on the post exilic period. Uh, that is a word, a weird name. Uh, that is a weird time. It's not something really we hear a whole lot about. Uh, I can think about a whole lot of my life. It's uh, something I heard really nothing about, uh, but it's an important thing uh, in our understanding of the Bible and for sure as we move into uh, the New Testament. Our, our verses, we're going to be moving around looking at several sets of verses tonight in our study. The key point is, uh, in the last period of the Old Testament, God's people returned to the promised land, uh, setting the stage for the coming of the promised Messiah. We've talked about last week, a couple weeks, but for sure last week, uh, the exile or the the time of captivity. Uh, It was a time when Israel was taken away by the Assyrians, Uh, where Judah was taken away by the Babylonians. That was because of God's judgment. Uh, And now this is the time that they return to the land. So it's called, again, the uh, post-exilic period. It was a period that ran about 600 years uh, until the time of Christ. Uh, We are in the process in these lessons. We've got one more next week uh, where we're wrapping up the Old Testament. And these are things of really context that we need to have set on solid ground so we can understand the Old Testament and for sure the context moving into the New Testament when Christ will come. And so you say, well, I'm not sure I've ever heard much teaching about this. Uh, probably not, maybe not very much, but it's something we need to understand so we'll have a solid footing uh, as we move into the New Testament and our study of the coming of Christ. And so that's where we're at tonight, the 55th lesson, the post-exilic period. All right, the first section on your worksheet, consequences are real. This is the starting place uh, for our discussion tonight. Uh, Before we move forward in our account, uh, we need to be sure to remember the the things of the, the time of captivity were the result of God's people breaking their covenant with God. God said, if you will follow me, if you will walk in obedience, I will bless you. He made that covenant with them. They did not keep that. They broke that covenant and God sent them prophets and he warned them. If if you're not going to walk in obedience, I'm going to take you out of the land. If you're not going to walk in obedience, there's going to be my judgment against your sin. He warned them they would not listen and then they are taken away from the land in uh, God's judgment. And so we need to understand that time uh, of captivity, that time when they were in exile is the result of their failing to honor their word And walk in obedience. I'm going to start off reading Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, and death and adversity. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you're entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you're crossing the Jordan Jordan to enter and possess it. And so again, God says, if you'll walk in obedience, if you will honor me, I will bless you in this lamb. Uh, but if you will not walk in obedience, uh, your time there will be short. The, the truth of that is this, sin has consequences. He says, I have the good thing for you. I have the best thing for you. And if you'll walk in obedience, you'll experience that. But if you'll uh, turn and go a different way, you'll suffer the consequences. Sin has consequences we need to understand that God tells us the best way to live if we're not going to walk in obedience sin we need to understand has consequences well they suffered those consequences they're taken off into captivity all right that's our starting place what they had gone through was in God's judgment of their sin all right the next section on your worksheet is entitled a Change of Plans a change of of plans. Now, if you remember the Assyrians, uh, they take Israel captive, then the Babylonians come uh, sometime later and and they take Judah captive. But they both have really a version of the same idea uh, that the best way to govern the land is to take the people out of it to assimilate them to a new culture and then let them melt into that culture. And that's exactly what they did. That was their plan. They take uh, the Israelites to Assyria. They teach them the ways of that culture, and that's exactly what happens. They melt into the culture. They take these folks from Judah. They take them to Babylon. They introduce them to the culture, and the same thing happens. They melt into the culture. Well, that was their plan uh, for for running the land that they were taking captive. Um, However, with the death of of King Nebuchadnezzar, that's in 562 B.C., uh, the, the Assyrians start, and then the Babylonians are after that. In 562, with the death of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire begins to weaken. And it's really about a 15, 20-year period uh, where the kingdom starts to step down and the the kingdom is weakened. Uh, In 539 B.C., the Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Persian Empire. Okay, so they're taken to a new culture. The plan is let them melt into the culture. Let them just get used to the culture And that's the best way to govern the land. Uh, 539, uh, the Persians take over. And in 538, there's a new king, King Cyrus. And he has a different plan in how to govern the land that they're taking over. Uh, God impresses it upon him. God shows it to him. But he decides the best way to handle uh, the conquered Jews is to let them go home. And so it's better not to have enemies here. Let them go home, bless them, and they're going home. And and God impresses that upon him. That is his decision. Uh, He'll let them go home, he'll encourage them to rebuild, but they're still going to be under Persian rule. So he makes that the official declaration. You can go home, rebuild all your stuff, we'll bless you there, but you're going to be under Persian rule. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Verses 22 and 23, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord God be with him and let him go up. All right. So there's a new plan. We're going we're gonna to send them home. We're going to encourage them to rebuild. The next section on your on your sheet says waves. Uh, it's an interesting thing. We talked about it a little bit last week, but it's an interesting thing that uh, they're allowed to go home. They're encouraged to go home. They're going to be blessed by the Persian government if they go home. But here's the deal. Most of the Jews living in exile did not want to go home. And we, We've already seen the Israelites have so melted into the culture that they're not even found again. There's none of them uh, to even identify to go home. But Judah still has some folks that are identifiable. They're still trying to hold on to a national identity. And so they're told, go home, rebuild. But they've become so comfortable in the new culture. Most of them are getting rich in their business in the new culture. And so to them, it is a strange thing. It's been 70 years. A a bunch of them had never been back to the homeland. Some of them were born and had never experienced the homeland. And so for them, it is a fearful thing to think about going home. We don't know what waits there. We don't know if we'll have the kind of life that we do here. We kind of like it here. And so they're very uncertain. And so um, most of them decide not to go home. The ones that do decide to go home do so with great reluctance. And so it's not this great swelling of folks that say, hey, we're free to go home. Remember when they leave, how upset they were. Most of them are content to stay, but the ones that do go home go home with reluctance. Because of that reluctance, uh, they go home in waves. And we're gonna talk about the waves that they go home in. There's actually three main waves of of Jews that make their way home. And so it's not a giant exodus when they go back home, Uh, they actually go in three different waves. And so um, crazy response, what they hoped would happen has happened. And yet most of them aren't interested in going home. They're fine where they're at. And so the ones that do go home, go home in waves. The first wave, our worksheet says, have to start somewhere. Gone from their homeland uh, for 70 years, uh, the first group decides, okay, we're going to go home. They were led by a man. He's a, a courageous man, a valiant man, a godly man named Zerubbabel. Uh, it's interesting. I think this is pretty awesome. He was a descendant of King David, and he's going to be an ancestor to Jesus himself. And so I think that's pretty awesome. The one that's going to take him home is related to Jesus himself. So this guy's a Um He's impressed to lead him home. He's a courageous, valiant man. He's going to lead them home. A descendant of King David and a would-be ancestor to Jesus. The group that he takes home is about 42,000 Jews. There's about 50,000 people in total. Uh, Some of them are slaves. Some of them are are laborers for the households. Uh, There's a whole listing of their animals that go home. A a bunch of livestock goes with them. But there's about 42,000 Jews, about 50,000 people that are going to go home in this first wave. They take off. They get there. When they get there, They find, of course, what you would think their their land is in disarray. Everything's torn down. Uh, Strangers have moved in. Uh, Pagan people have moved in. Nothing they think um, would be remaining is there. It's all in disarray. And so they've got the problem. When they get there, it's not what they expect. But then they've also got an additional problem. The neighboring people do not want them to come back and do not want them to rebuild. So when you get there, the land's in disarray. There's strangers living in the land. And then those neighbors, those strangers, don't want them to come back to the land. So they've got all sorts of problems. Uh, King Cyrus is so uh, for them. It's an interesting account. Um, when they left, if you remember, uh, they go and they loot the temple. They take all of the gold bowls and dishes, the bronze lampstands. They loot the temple. Well, uh, King Cyrus is so for them, he sends out word, go round up all that stuff, put it back together and send it home with them. And so the dishes and the plates, the gold stuff from the temple, the lampstands, he puts all that back together as an act of goodwill and sends it home with them. All right. So they go home. The king is for them. They get back. It's not what they had hoped, uh, but there's also trouble with the neighbor's who are living in the land. Once they get home, uh, they rebuild the altar in 537 BC. First thing they do, we need to restart worship. We need a place to worship. They rebuild the the altar in 537 BC. After that, in 536 BC, they start with the foundation of the temple. Remember the temple's knocked down. Uh, They start and they rebuild back the foundation of the temple. So they're back, they're glad to be back. It's a mess. They go to work. They rebuild the altar in 537. They rebuild the foundation of the temple in 536. After this, a weird thing happens. They slow down. And I don't don't know if they got distracted. I don't know if, hey, the new, it's been two years. The new has worn off. But they get distracted and they quit the rebuilding program. They're not working on completing the temple. They're not moving forward with any of those plans And and there's a pretty good gap in the rebuilding program. King Cyrus died in 530 BC. So the altar in 537, the the foundation of the temple in 536, work stalls out, and then in 530, King Cyrus died. There's, I believe, three kings after uh, King Cyrus, and then after that, there's a subsequent king named King Darius. King Darius becomes the king of Persia, and he finds the the edicts of King Cyrus. And so he finds the scroll, and he finds the proclamation that Cyrus had made, go home, rebuild all the stuff, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. So he finds that, and he says, God's going to be upset with us. We didn't get this done. I told you all to rebuild it. And he thinks God's going to be upset with the Persians, because the Jews didn't do what they were supposed to do. So King Darius, finding the edict of King Cyrus, says, rebuild, get back to work, finish what we sent you to do. Because of that, the rebuilding program starts again. So the first wave goes back, they get excited, they start, they fail, they they get distracted. King Darius uh, sends sends a message for them to get back to work. Because of that, the temple is rebuilt, In 516 and 515 B.C., there's the completion of the temple. Um, If you want to read those events, they're all recorded in the book of Ezra. So that's the first wave that goes home. That's how it happens. Uh, The king says, King Cyrus says go. They go. They start the rebuilding program. They they, uh, fall off and taper off in that. King Darius tells them to finish it, and they finish the temple. All right, on your sheet, it says second wave, not again. Now, this is a very interesting thing, I believe, with the second wave. A second wave returned to Judah approximately 80 years later in 458 B.C. Now, there was a scribe and a priest named Ezra, and he leads this effort. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and they said, well, if he wanted to go, why didn't he go with the first effort? He may have been 12 years old. He may have been a kid Uh, When the first bunch left, it's been 80 years and he decides to lead a a second group uh, back to Jerusalem, back to Judah. Uh, Ezra, again, he's a scribe, he's a priest, he loves the word of God, he knows the word of God, uh, he wants to be shaped by the word of God. His mission, his desire was for the Jews to honor God by living according to the word of God. Uh, He saw a spiritual reformation in the hearts of God's people. Now, I think it's interesting. Each of these groups go back. They build something. And what Ezra rebuilds is a movement to trust the word of God. That's what he puts back in to the Jewish people. All right, here's what happens. 80 years have passed. Ezra's leading the second group back. When they get there, he finds that the first group is already... Uh, doing what the group was doing when they got taken out of the land. They have entered into intermarrying with the pagan people of the land. Remember, God said, don't intermarry with the pagan people. That's why they were carried out the first time. So when Ezra gets back, they're doing the same thing that, that broke the covenant with God that got them taken out the first time. So he gets back and he sees they've mixed with the culture again. They're they're participating in the pagan culture again. They're marrying into these people again. They're not doing anything God said to do. And he finds them in really just astounding sinfulness when he gets back. Here's a weird thing. He sees this and, and he's just blown away. What in the world? Why would you do this again? Why are we back here again? And he's just blown away. He can't imagine how we're right back where we were at. The same sins that got us taken out of here in God's judgment, they're already doing them uh, when he finally gets there. Here's what the Bible says. He is so upset, he pulls his own hair out, pulls his own beard out, tears his clothes, falls on the dirt, and starts throwing dirt on himself. He is upset. Can't imagine. When will we learn? When will we learn? Why are we back here again? He is upset in sorrowful regret. I was thinking about this, and I don't don't have an answer. Why was he so upset by the sin? Why was nobody else upset? Did it happen gradually? Was somebody overlooking it? Why was he so upset? Why Why wasn't anybody else upset? And then here's what I think about for our world today. It seems like, and maybe this is what happened there, we have a tendency to become accepting of sin as it happens gradually. And so, so maybe it was a little at a time, maybe it was overlooked. Uh, maybe he comes back and can't believe it, but it had happened over 80 years for those folks. Same thing today. Things that are absurd, things that we wouldn't have imagined 10 years ago, 20 years ago. How does that ever happen? How does that ever get accepted? And it's a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Um, Sunday morning I was thinking about the sermon, Um, our our gospel is good news for sinners. We have a remedy in our sin. We have a remedy as sinners. But to appreciate a Savior for sinners, we have to say what a sin is. And so I think we're we're 20, 30, 40 years when we're too scared to say that is a sin, and that is a sin, and that is a sin, and you're going to need a Savior for those sins, I wonder if that's not the same process that happens in 80 years here. A little at a time, a little at a time, Ezra shows up and he's overwhelmed by their sin. Uh, Ezra actually turns the people back to God. Uh, They actually come and they see him with his hair pulled out and his beard pulled out. And they become sorrowful over sin. And they say, we did sin. We didn't listen. Um, they, They had taken wives from these other pagan groups. They told them to go back home. They put away their wives and they actually start to turn and and walk with God in obedience. Uh, Ezra wants to lead a movement. He leads a movement. They turn back to honoring God as they follow the word of God. I'm going to read, it's a whole big old chunk, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. It's Ezra chapter 9. Here's the account. Now, when these things have been completed, the princes approached me saying, The people of Israel and the priests of the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. According to their abominations, those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives For themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has intermingled with the people of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. Those that shouldn't have done it, they did it first. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled until the evening offering. But at the evening offering I rose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees and stretched out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God, For our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers, to this day, we have been great in guilt. And on account of our iniquities, our kings and our priests have been given into the land, into the hand of kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to open shame, as it is this day. But now, for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving from our bondage. For we are slaves, yet in our bondage our God has not forsaken us, but has extended loving kindness to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving to raise up the house of our God to restore its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded by your servants the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from end to end, with their impurity. So now, do not give your daughters to their sons, "...nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace or their prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good things in the Lamb, and leave it as an inheritance to your sons forever. After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and our great guilt, since you our God has required us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us an escaped remnant as this." Shall we break your commandments and intermarry with the peoples who would commit these abominations? Would you not be angry with us to the point of destruction until there is no remnant who escape? O Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous, for we have been an escaped remnant as it is this day. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for no one can stand before you because of this. Again, he leads them in repentance He leads them to be sorrowful over their sin. They actually listen, and as a nation, they turn back to walking with God. That is the second wave, all right? The third wave. First wave goes to Rehoboam. Second wave goes with Ezra. Third wave, brick by brick, all right? Two waves have made their way back. Yet another third wave of Jews makes their way back in 445 B.C., all right? So we've passed some more time, 445 B.C. This group is led by the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah. You can go read the book of Nehemiah. That's this account. He is a cupbearer for the king. He is on the king's inner circle. Uh, He had a good life. He had a safe life. Uh, he He has everything he needs. He has no trouble in his life. And so he actually sacrifices that to lead this third wave. He, he, he has a good life. He doesn't need anything. The king likes him. He's on the king's court. He decides to go back, and he's going to sacrifice, risk all of that to go back home. Uh, he goes back. Again, I said each of these guys, when they go back, they lead a, a rebuilding. He leads the people to finish the city's walls and gates. And you go read the book of Nehemiah, there's troubles. The neighbors don't want the wall finished. Uh, The the people are hard to deal with, so he goes back, he patches up the holes knocked in the wall, he puts the gates back on the wall, and he finishes the wall. The finished wall, okay, so at this point, they're back, uh, they're walking with God in obedience, the temple is back, and now the walls are finished. That is a great encouragement to the Jews there, but now also to other Jews who are still in other places. There are Jews that had gone uh, to other places that weren't taken away in captivity. There were Jews that had fled to Egypt. So now they hear, hey, the Jews are back in Jerusalem. The temple is back up in Jerusalem. The walls are repaired there. The king's favor is given to them. And so they start uh, to slowly go home as well. At this point, um, there is a sense of national pride and the worship of God resumes again. So they're back, walls are back, temple's back, uh, people are hearing about it, they're making their way back, and it is, it is a good time. That brings us to this, to this last point, and that is this. It says the high price of rebellion. It is a weird thing, and I kind of have to slow down here to think about this. When you read those books, when you read that section, alright we're, we're, we're closing that down We're ready to head to the New Testament. You might think, well, this is a great time of celebration. They're home. They figured it out. Temple's rebuilt. um, Good things are happening. Walls are back up. There's pride again. And so this is a great time of celebration. I think you need to be very careful. We need to go slow to see this. For sure, great things have happened. For sure, God has worked. Uh, God's grace has been shown to them in going back. But also there, there's something that stands out, and that is this. The consequence for sin always stands. And so I want you to think about this. They're back, and they could celebrate, but when they look around, the city of Jerusalem is never going to be what it once was. The king's temple, uh, it's gone. The, the, king's, the king's castle, it's palace. It is gone. The temple is nothing like the temple of Solomon. It's back, but the splendor of it is gone. All the, the, the things that were so astonishing, they are gone. And so the city's not the same. The king's palace is not there. The, the temple, um, it's not what it once was. The reputation, you know, people used to say, King David, they used to talk about King Solomon. The reputation of the king that is gone. The reputation of the army. People were fearful over the army of Israel. No one cares about. That, that, that fear is gone. And so when you look around, uh, you might say, wow, what a victory they're back. But you, you really look around and you see nothing's the same. Everything's different. The splendor is gone. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a different time. Not only that, 10 of the tribes never come home. They're gone. And I think about, if it is a small group of 50,000 that comes home, how many graves are in a foreign land? And no one knows who they are. No one knows, hey, that, that, was, that was Reuben's son, or that was Reuben's great-great-grandson, or, or, or pick your tribe. Um, they disappear. Their names fade away. They're in, in graves in foreign lands. Not only that, when you read Ezra, These were a people that were a special people. And now they're just like everybody else. They've mixed into the world. And so the special people uh, have made themselves common. So the city's not the same. uh, The splendor's gone. The temple's not the same. Whole bunch of them are dead in foreign lands. Whole bunch of them are living in foreign foreign lands. No one even knows their name. And their specialness is gone. I think then... Can you imagine what Jacob would do if he could see what became of all of his sons? And I think that's got to be the saddest thing ever. Twelve sons, twelve tribes, the promised land, the glory of God, and all that's messed up. And so, yes, they're back. And yeah, hey, we're moving in a good direction, but it's not the same. Here's the deal. God is gracious, and he forgives sin. God is gracious, and he restores us when we sin. But you know what? The consequence and the destruction from sin is still very real. And so I I go, you know what? I don't know why we're so easy with sin. I don't know why we're so easy to run and to enter into sin. You know what? If we'll repent, God will forgive us. If we'll walk with him, he'll restore us. But when you look around, you have to go, man, what a mess I've made. What a mess we've made. Uh, the consequences for sin still stand. All right, so when I get to that place, uh, we're going to talk about next time. Next week, we're going to have our, our our the ending day of our camp, and so we will not meet like this next week. Uh, the next week after that, we're going to talk about the 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and between the book of Matthew. But here we go. We're, we're, we're coming down to the end of the Old Testament. Um, they've been in, they've been out, they've messed up, God's restored them. Uh, they're back in the land, the temple's back, um, but there's still markers of sin all around them. And I started to think, all right, here we go, uh, moving to this, this period of 400 years where, when it's going to be a time when God's not going to speak the way he had been speaking. And I think the fitting ending here is this, the fitting ending for the book of Revelation. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And I I think that's got to be the fitting ending. The the temple's back, things are are heading the right direction, but you know what they need? They need a Savior. They need a Savior that will forgive and restore the Savior of God. And so the the ending of the Old Testament is very fitting to be the same ending of the New Testament. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. What What an awesome movement. What an awesome thing bringing us to the point uh, the law hasn't saved us. We can't keep it. We need a Savior. And now the stage is set for it. In the perfection of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. Jesus is coming. Glad you are here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. Uh, we're thankful for your word, and Lord, a weird uh, weird transition, maybe not something we study very often, but something important. You are faithful, you keep your word, and you give us a remedy when we break our word. And so Lord, we're thankful, and we put our eyes upon Christ, on Jesus, the remedy for sinners. Lord, I'm thankful that in your grace, we have hope today, that in our sin, we have a remedy today. And I I pray, Lord, as we understand these pieces of context, that it gives us a better understanding of our Savior, a deeper love for your word, and a deeper love for the Savior of that word, Jesus. Again, we pray for our kids uh, meeting tonight. I I pray for the kids camp coming up. I pray that it would be tremendous. I pray that the impact would be huge. I pray it wouldn't be just a bunch of, of things we do just to do things, but I pray for a foundation of truth to be built, And I pray for it to matter. And I pray when these little kids uh, become young adults, when they become moms and dads and husbands and wives, when they lead in churches, I pray that it's standing on a foundation of truth that was laid uh, in these weeks. Lord, I pray for our youth meeting right now. Bless them as well. Encourage them. Uh, So many things that would would pull them astray, lead them astray. Uh, Bless them in the hearing of your truth. And I pray for us in this room, I pray that we've grown tonight. I pray, Lord, that we, we have a, a growing love for your word tonight. And I pray the fruit of that is that you're pleased, that you're blessed, and your name is, is known. Lord, we trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here to Smith, Glad you're here tonight.